0: like to echo Mark's um, earlier uh, greeting and uh, wish you all a, uh, a, uh, a blessed 2024. As he mentioned this is the first service or the first evening service of uh, the new year. So Happy New Year to everyone. Let's uh, commence our time uh, in a word of prayer commit the, the message to the Lord Heavenly Father it is pleased you to use earthen vessels to do your work here on earth and Father we um, are aware of our own uh, frailty uh, our own limitations and Father we ask that you um, Be with me as I give the word. Be with the congregation and those online as they hear the word. Uh, We pray for your blessing upon us all. Lord, I pray that uh, the message that is given tonight will be what you want to be said, not what comes from man. And we pray that the congregation will not see a man, but will hear the word of God. Father, we want the Lord Jesus Christ to be upheld and glorified. So we commit Him, commit ourselves to him in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In 1974, I know it's a long time ago and it's ancient history for some of you, um, I was a strapping young uh, year 12 student and uh, we had some friends i lived in hurstville uh, not that far away from here Um, and uh, so did our uh, so did my friends we decided we were going to go for a hike down into the royal national park and we were going to catch a train down to otford now i was the first station in that journey Um, I had to catch it at Hurstfall. They were going to get on at Oatley. Um, This was in the days of the Red Rattler. Put up your hand if you know what a Red red Rattler is. Yes, okay, you've just shown your age. Um, And nearly everything that I travelled on in those days was a Red Rattler, okay. Uh, For you younger people who are um, under the age of 50, A Red Rattler was an electric train, it didn't have automatic doors like they had now um, and you were actually able to open and shut the window um, and um, sometimes you could travel with the doors completely open. So that was lovingly called a Red Rattler. However, when I got to the platform, and again, we go into ancient history because they didn't always have announcements over the PA and they didn't always have those electronic signs up there. There was someone who came out with a hook and they went up to the signs and they pulled the hook down. They pulled the the sign down, rather. And so that was to tell you where, you, where the train was going, when it was the next one that was coming into the platform. Sometimes... You know, um, station attendants got busy with other things and it didn't happen. And I'm not trying to make excuses for what I'm about to say, but um, I was a bit suspicious when, at the appointed time, instead of a Red Rattler, this uh, train with funny looking carriages pulled by a diesel locomotive. Roll into the station, and I was thinking, "Am I supposed to be on this or not?" And so I didn't move. And the train went off, and uh, there was another delay. And a station attendant came out and got their hook and pulled up the sign that was going to Otford and pulled another one down that was going to somewhere else. And I realized I just missed the train. And I went home. Having missed the opportunity because trains to Otford didn't happen every 15 minutes, mm-hmm. right? and I had lost the opportunity to go hiking with my friends. I wasn't saved at this stage. I got home and I was cranky. I was really mad with myself for being so stupid. And I got a f- and again, we have to go into ancient history. They just didn't pull one of these things out and say, "Hey, where are you?" You know, who's at the party? Oh, I won't go there yet. You know, none of that stuff was going on. They had to find a public phone and ring me at home. I got home by that stage and then they said, hey, where are you? You know, and they had a good laugh because I had lost the opportunity to go hiking that day. well, what we're about to talk about is a lot more serious than missing a train and missing the opportunity to go hiking. Jeremiah, where we had our reading from today, had a tough job. It wasn't an envious ministry at all because he was given the job of speaking to a people who were owned the name of God but had turned away from him and who were not ready to listen to any sort of rebuke he lived and ministered well he ministered between 625 and 585 BC what had happened is the northern kingdom had already gone It was already taken away judah was left and the jewel in the crown was jerusalem but the people had turned away from the lord we read in verse 29 cut off thine hair o jerusalem and cast it away and take up a lamentation on high places for the lord hath rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath Now the word here is uh, that's what's translated here. Here is the word Nazar. In the Bible, when you look up that word, that Hebrew word, you'll find that it most often is translated crown. Okay, but it also relates to the Nazarites. That's where they get the word from. And the word basically means a form of separation, a form of uh, consecration. And other references refer, as I said, to a kingly crown. So a king's crown was a sign of his consecration to his ministry. Jerusalem is referred to in feminine terms in the Bible. And it's interesting because um, a woman's hair is her glory. A woman's hair was and still is today. Her crown, if you like. Her crown and glory. It was a a symbol of consecration to Jehovah. We're talking about Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem was referred to in, in feminine terms, as I said, and so instead of using the word crown, they used the word hair, okay, to indicate, um, to give that comparison with a woman's glory. But it's saying cut off your hair. Cut off thine hair, O Jerusalem. In other words, your consecration has long been violated. They had sinned against God. As if to say, my promises regarding Jerusalem, promises given to the prophets of old, to David, still stand. But I will not allow my city to be brought into such shame. He explains why in verse 30. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight. They had had idols, pagan idols in the temple. The temple that was supposed to give glory a meeting place between the people and God. Worse still, maybe not worse still, but as a result of of their separation from God, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the god Tophet. And as a result of those things and other things as well, other abominations that they had committed, um, God says... Is judgment coming the dead bodies of the city's inhabitants will be so many that they won't be able to have time nor place to bury them they'll be devoured they'll be on the they'll be filling the uh, the valley of hinnom with the dead bodies and then they'll run out of room and they'll be scattered around and they'll be There'll be feed for, food for the birds and for the animals. The city will be desolate. This was to take place when the Babylonians were later to come and invade Judah and take the city of Jerusalem and conquer the city and destroy the temple there would be total desecration of Jerusalem, as we see. As it goes on in verse 8, At that time, saith the Lord, they shall bring out the bones of the kings of Judah and the bones of his princes and the bones of the priests and the bones of the prophets and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem out of their graves. This would be the ultimate humiliation for the Jewish people and it still is today a little bit of modern history in 2005 there was there's we get back to this gaza palestinian issue okay and there was an agreement made pressure from international bodies and that were placed upon jerusalem oh, sorry upon israel and an agreement was made that the jews who had settled in the gaza area and there was a military presence by the idf in there as well that they would all be withdrawn now during the time when the the jews were there they did in gaza what they've done in other parts of israel barren lifeless land was made to flourish they were growing food they were producing life in that land it was flourishing they had settled there some of their loved ones had died there and were buried there but because of this agreement that was made they were forced to leave some of them didn't want to leave and It was Israeli soldiers who had to remove them by force, take them out of the land. They left behind their houses, their farms, their animals, greenhouses, their food processing uh, plants, all those things. But there was one thing they didn't leave behind. They're dead. They dug up the uh, the remains of their loved ones who had been buried there and they took them back to Israel. Why? Because they knew what would happen to those graves once they were gone. They knew that they would be desecrated and spoilt and dug up out of sheer envy and hate. So they took their dead with them. Now you understand why this was such a shame to the people. And God said, this is what's going to happen. Back in Jeremiah's time, the reference to the bones of the dead being spread out before the sun, the moon and the stars is a rebuke to the Jews of those times who were worshipping those things. They had gone away from the the God of Israel, the the God of creation, and they were now worshipping the creation. Verse 3, we see that death would be chosen rather than life by all the residue of them that remain of this evil family which remain in all the places whither I have driven them saith the Lord of hosts. Not only would they be desecrated, not only would the land be ruined, the temple destroyed, but they'd also be taken into captivity. And the the city that they loved was no longer theirs. They had been taken away. In Psalm 137, verses 1 to 3, we get a glimpse of the, the heart wrench, the heart wrenching that the Jewish people would suffer. Psalm 137, verses 1 to 3, By the rivers of Babylon there we sat down yea we wept when we remembered Zion we hanged our hearts upon the willows in the midst thereof for there they that carried us away the Babylonians they that carried us away captive required of us a song and they said that, and they waste they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying sing us one of the songs of Zion and the verse goes on to say how can we sing such a song when we've been taken away from the land that we love. What we see here in the history of God's relationship with Israel and Judah has significance for all people, even for you and me. We are all sinners. And I'm talking to believer and unbeliever alike. We are all sinners. As it says in the book of Isaiah, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And in another place, Psalm 53, every one of them is gone back. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. That is you and me. We have sinned against the holy God. We tend to downplay the seriousness of our sin. We call adultery adultery, having an affair or an extramarital uh, fling. I don't know why I'm having trouble with my words today. We call telling lies fibbing or it's only a white lie. We tend to think that it's okay to cheat on your tax return, but it's not okay. It's lying. It's stealing. We hate our neighbor and want our way and our own personal relationships. And God calls it sin. And sin is against his holy nature. The Jews of Jeremiah's day refused to admit their guilt. As Jeremiah said, no man repented him of his wickedness, saying, what have I done? Have you ever done that? You've been caught? What have I done? Everyone's turned to his own course. Everyone's done their own thing, as we would say today. As the horse rusheth into the battle, and if you've ever had, probably seen any of those um, ancient battles and on TV or, or movies or whatever, you know the they would charge into the battle they had one purpose and that was to go there go that direction and this is what they have done with their sin and this is what we have done with our sin we've gone our own way we've done what we wanted to do That's self will that is stubbornness that is defiance against almighty God but Jeremiah has to tell the people that sin has its consequences. The wise men, the leaders, the priests, the scribes were the ones that were being spoken about here. How do you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? It was but they had turned against it. They were not obeying it. Lo, certainly in vain made he it. The pen of the scribes is in vain. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord, and what wisdom is in them? Today we have preachers who do not preach the word of God. They do not preach a true gospel. They want to tickle the ears. They want to be familiar. Or they want to be popular with their congregations, telling them what is comfortable and pleasing. Now, I want to, I'm allowed to do this. I want to say that I'm thankful for the ministry of this pulpit, uh, of our pastors who don't hold back. And it hurts to hear some of the things that we hear Um, that's what it's meant to do it's meant to get in and get rid of the rot out of our own hearts and I'm talking to believers as well maybe especially you know we need to be thankful when we when we go ouch. you know that's hitting home a lot of people would get angry and walk out but we need to let the word of God the sword of the spirit do its job in our own hearts and I'm thankful that the sword of the spirit is used here sin has its consequences I'll give you an illustration of consequences now this comes from nature it's not dealing with people but back in the 1990s there was a whale watching boat off the coast of California. So you've got a whale watching boat, maybe you've been on one of those, uh, not in California, but around here. And you know, you go out, and the aim is to watch whales. And they come across two uh, orcas, you know, killer whales, that have just um, killed a seal and they're feeding on it. Okay, so there's two, two whales out there, they're a good distance away from the whales and they're watching them feeding on this seal on board the ship was a marine biologist and she just happened to look down in the shadow of the of the boat and going back and forwards back and forwards was a shark and in those day in that water and in At that time, she knew it could only be one type of shark. It had to be what we call uh, a white pointer, what is commonly known as a a great white. The killer whales couldn't care less about it until that shark made a fatal mistake. It made a right-hand turn and started to head towards the whales. The minute that happened, the minute that, that shark left the boat, It was a goner and it was dealt with. It didn't take a lot of thrashing and a lot of blood going everywhere. They, killer whales are pretty smart. They know how to deal with various types of prey. And they dealt with this shark in the way that they know would kill it straight away. I won't go into details of that. But the the issue is, the point of the illustration is that shark made a fatal mistake. And it bore the consequences of that mistake. We, when we sin, we bear the consequences of the decisions that we make. To any unbelievers that may be listening, when you sin, you, you cannot get away with it. You bear the consequences And the worst sin that you could ever commit is rejecting Jesus Christ as Saviour. No matter what you do, what you've done in life, if you come to Christ, you can be forgiven. You will be forgiven. But if you reject him, that is worse than all the sins that you could ever imagine because you've rejected the only one who can save you. God's mercy and offer of forgiveness is not only to the Jewish nation but to all mankind. To you and me personally. But the forgiveness of sin is not yours until you receive it by faith. You can't work for it you can't do anything that would replace or equal what Jesus did for you on the cross. You cannot add to it. God gave his very best to pay for your sin. Anything you do or try to do for your sin is like a filthy rag to God. And it's, impu- it's repulsive. Because when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross he died to pay the price for all mankind, he died for you and me God gave of his best at Calvary and there's nothing that you can do to add to it I don't care whether it's rosary beads or whether it's starvation or whether it's lying on a bed of nails or whatever it is you might think will get you you happiness with God, acceptance with God. All those things are like a filthy rag under the nose. And God hates it because he gave of his only begotten son. He gave of his best. The love of God. The love of God was here as well. We see... Um, we see Jeremiah appealing to the, the people why do you why do you continue in the way that you're going why do you say there is no hope because God is a God of hope he was reaching out to these ones and yet they continued to reject him god is reaching out to you and me today it's the same god the god of the old testament is a god of love it's the same god as we have today we talk about the love of god it was the same god dealing with the people of jerusalem When he allowed the Babylonians to come in and take the people out of the land, was that out of hatred or was it out of love? It was out of love because he knew that if the city remained in idolatry, remained in rejection of him, then they would never put their trust in the Lord. The Lord, if, if if the nation was totally destroyed, Jesus Christ would not have come to Jerusalem. It was part of God's plan, so he had to deal with it. He had to deal with the sin because he was going to keep his promise of a saviour. And that saviour was going to reign one day in Jerusalem, from Jerusalem. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Romans 5 tells us, Christ died for us. It was part of God's plan, and God was going to keep his promise. When God takes something away from you, something that you've loved, whether it be a job, whether it be whatever, a car, or whatever whatever it may be, sometimes even a loved one. Is it out of hate? Or is it out of love? I would suggest to you that it's out of love. He knows what he's doing. And we need to commit ourselves to him in that regard. We need to let him have control of those things. God requires us to believe that we are a sinner. We are lost and heading towards eternity in hell unless our sin is forgiven. Jesus Christ satisfied God's wrath when he died on that cross in our place. We receive that forgiveness by repenting of our sin and putting our faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross and ask him to save us. That's how you come to Christ. The opportunity to be saved, I'm talking now to to, uh, those who do not know Christ, is now. The opportunity is now. For he saith in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 I have heard thee in an accepted time, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time, now is the day of salvation. Don't delay in coming to Christ don't make excuses don't put it off because you don't know what is around the corner you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or even tonight there are many people who have gone to bed thinking they're going to wake up in the morning and they wake up in eternity behold now is the time to come to christ don't be like those as we read in verse 20 where the the people said there's no hope we're so far in sin it's it we're done and they say the harvest is past the summer is ended and we are not saved God is always willing to save even the the greatest sinner. The only sin that will keep you out of out of heaven is rejecting Christ. Now, what do you mean by that? You know, you know, we heard this morning, the issue is not you get saved and then It's an open check. You can do whatever you like. That's not what it's saying. But the greatest sin, I mean, we think of the guy on the cross next to Jesus. He was a murderer. He was a thief. He'd probably done some very rotten things. He'd spent his life rejecting God. But at the last moment, he realised who he was dying next to. And he suddenly realized that there was eternity at stake. And he says, Lord, remember me when you, when thou comest into thy kingdom. Did the Lord say, Okay, go off and get baptized, you know? Say a hundred Hail Marys. That's what used to be said to me. Not a hundred, but they used to say, you know, go through bless yourself five times I used to that's what I thought was how you got your sins forgiven and that's what was told to me in that little room with with the mesh and some guy in the middle on the other side of that mesh and I'd pour out my heart and he'd say I'll go and bless yourself five times that does nothing Jesus didn't say that to the thief on the cross He saw the man's belief. He saw the man's repentance and he said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And the promise is to you that as you repent and turn to Christ, your sins will be forgiven. You have an assurance of a home in heaven. Because of the one who has given that promise to you. Don't reject it. Don't be like those who said in Jeremiah's time, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. In a minute, I'm going to ask um, Mark if he will come up and lead us in the final hymn. Um, you'll notice the hymn is 541. I deliberated on the, uh, on the hymn. I looked at 540 and uh, it's the one that says almost persuaded. And I thought that could fit in with what I'm saying. But I wanted to focus very much on, on Christ. So that's why we're, we've chosen 541. Only trust him.